What is going on, Duke fans? Adam Comer here with another episode of the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. It is tourney season. It is officially that time, and it is nice to have the Band-Aid back, Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson will be back, and all the issues will be gone, and everything is wonderful, and we'll live heavily, happily ever after. So, of course, it is a... Uh, fairy tale or so we hope so first thing I'll say is look it's I, I love doing this I love the podcast been doing it for six years I just want to talk ball and doing these solo I'm going to be doing them all the time no matter what if this is my last go around doing it kind of consistently um, during the season um, it, it is what it is, and I just want to go out with uh, kind of just having fun, and I would just love to have somebody, I'm going to do interviews and stuff and have people on, but I would love to just have a co-host, because I've been hosting, and for, for the whole time, pretty much just kind of propping people up and make like basically just making it easier for them, I would love to just have someone at least not take the full role, but just kind of join me in a conversation, and that would just be awesome, just to talk basketball, because that's something where I've really never gotten to do that unless I'm guesting on other people's pods, which I've done plenty, or radio, but I would love to just do that on my own, just have somebody on, and back and forth, and just kind of set each other up, or, I mean, if you're willing, let let, let me know, Just, just kind of act as the host, because I would love to just basically analyze without always thinking of really kind of setting up the other person, if you know what I mean. So if anyone's interested, uh, let me know, cc underscore Duke Games. You can email me at uh, comster81 at gmail.com, C-O-M-S-T-E-R. And as I've been saying consistently, if you want the podcast to keep going in a consistent uh, fashion next year, during, like, this is the 16th episode this year, this season, um, re- uh, subscribe, rate, review, do all that stuff on iTunes. I am going to try to record an episode where I do explain the whole situation with the pod. Um, I, it just makes me insanely uncomfortable to talk myself up. I will force myself to do that. For one episode, I'm not going to use any segment of a normal pod to do anything near like that. But uh, yeah, subscribe, rate, review, and just when I, when I put if you're if you know me through Twitter, when I put it on the uh, timeline, hey, re- retweet it. I mean, I ne- I've never asked for a retweet for anything really. So uh, I don't know. It's just to spread the word. That that's all it is. Just to know that it'll be worth it next year. I'm not trying to, trust me, I'm not trying to get rich off this stuff. Um, It's just, I want to know it's worth it because I've been doing it for so long and it's just tough to know what's out there. And again, if you want to uh, have some fun, join me um, on the pod during the uh, postseason this year, during the ACC tournament, in between ACC and NCAA, during the NCAA, hit me up. Hit hit me up on Twitter, hit me up, um, email, anything. I would love to have you. The, uh, the one way I will talk myself up is to say those who 
hear me interview others, those who have been on, they say, like, I am, like, over-the-top kind of generous in terms of just boosting them up nonstop. And I'm not saying they don't deserve to be. But trust me, I'm, I, I'll make it easy for you. I'll make it fun. So it's all good times. It's basketball. All right, so let's get on with it. little joke at first was with Zion. Obviously, it's not all great. But with Duke, uh, the first, uh, Pittsburgh won last night. They beat... Uh, who who they even play? Um, they they beat. Um, I don't even know to be honest. Uh, the the eighty seventy they beat someone. Um, anyway, my my boy Xavier Johnson, uh, DMV. He uh, he had a big game. He's going to have plenty of big games in the upcoming years. Jeff Capel got himself a good one there from Bishop O'Connell. So Duke might play them or another matchup with Q's. They've seen plenty of Q's. This season, they've seen plenty of cues in the postseason. Their Sweet 16 opponent last year. So that would be... Uh, they are not the most fun team to play, I'll say that. And uh, with Zion back, I'd like him to kind of get back into the flow of things without having to go against that annoying zone. Obviously, there's not many teams like Syracuse who play that zone. And that was one of the things that threw them off. Just like, I mean, you got to remember, these are freshmen. Everything they faced this season has pretty much been for the first time. So uh, that first time versus Cuse definitely threw them off. And especially considering all the other context that was involved with Trey out or Trey getting injured, Cam out, and just short rest coming off uh, Florida State. It was just all kinds of stuff. So uh, I would prefer Pittsburgh. I'm sure Coach K would not because uh, he has said many times he does not like to face his uh, ex-assistants. I guess this would also be included as ex-player. So, let's talk, uh, let's uh, go over how has Duke struggled without Zion. They are 3-3, and... Let's just go over their stats. And I'm not just going to reel off some stats. I will kind of explain the context of them. So, uh, ACC-only stats, KenPom.com, Ken Pomeroy. Uh, the pre-Zion injury compared to now. The stats just in the ACC. So, pre-Zion injury. Going into North Carolina, the offensive efficiency was 112.7. Pretty good. Now it's 108.8. That's a big drop off. If you know, if you know the, I mean, once you get enough of a sample size going on, they don't, they don't drop that quickly and that drastically. But it's obviously a lot goes into the offensive efficiency. I mean, some, something like what's causing the uh, the issues? Turnovers pre Zion injury 16.6 percent. Now 17.7. And that's the thing, because as much as Duke was running all year, they weren't turning it over. And that was something where I constantly heap praise on them because they're such a young team and we've seen young teams just kind of throw the ball away nonstop, uh, not just Duke, all, all kinds of young teams, because, hey, they're young. That's, that's what they're going to do. They're going to learn from their errors. And Duke wasn't making those errors, especially with Trey. Trey was making great, great decisions in transition. The issue without Zion is there's not as much transition now. 
and Trey, he was doing a great job. And I, I remember that uh, Trey pod where he came back. Uh, it was right before Georgia Tech when he came back. And I did a whole pod about how it's not just transition where he pushes. He turns what shouldn't be transition, or it's not just uh, turnovers, off turnovers where he pushes. He turns anything into transition. He can speed up any opponent just by with his anticipation, with his accuracy on the outlet passage, any normal missed shot by the opponent, a make by the opponent, just anything. He is he is looking for you, but you have to have the guys leaking out to do that. There haven't been the guys leaking out to do that because Duke's defense, they need everyone back. They need everyone back playing defense. They need everyone back helping to team rebound. They can't afford R.J. Barrett or Cam Reddish leaking out all the time. So that, that transition potential that Trey brought, it just isn't there without Zions. They can't leak out knowing Zions back there as the Band-Aid. That's what he is for everything. He can cover up any issues. Not all, but he has the potential to cover up a multitude of worrisome areas for Duke. Um, so now they're, they're going to, they, they have to try to run where sometimes they shouldn't, where sometimes it's not available. They have to do, they have to run more half court offense. And yeah, now they, they're turning it over more. It's just how now they're starting to look a little more like freshmen. Not, not a ton. I wouldn't say the turnovers are out of hand, but it's going to, it's just a margin for errors, it's just a lot slimmer. Offensive rebounds. Duke, they were ranked number one. I believe uh, they were tied with LSU on Synergy for being number one in the country for the percentage of their offense, which came from offensive rebounds and putbacks. Now, it's not even close. In terms of the percentage pre, it was 34.6. Now, it's 33. 33. Uh, 33.4. And it's just Zion, he, he would grab those and just... He, I mean, he I, I compared his anticipation and just his sense of where the rebound was going to go. Because everyone sees his athletic ability. They don't see his intelligence. They don't see his basketball mind. And yeah, it's impossible to see the basketball mind, but he just has a feel for the game that was just impossible to know watching him in high school. And I really didn't watch him much in high school. I th- I watched a, a couple games, and he was just like kind of wandering all over the place. I'm like, he can't drift off guys like that uh, in college. And he, he does get burned at times. He does get burned. I remember Louisville, like Jordan DeWar, he kind of drifted off a bunch, but usually he has a good sense of how far he can drift off and how much he can help others while still being able to get back to his man, or he can just leap 20 feet through the air and uh, block DeAndre Hunter because that was that is not human. Uh, let's see, free throw rate. Another huge thing because I, I have harped throughout the year that Duke needs as many chances as possible, as many quality chances as possible to score, and that's going to be through free throws. It's going 
to be through transition, and it's going to be offensive rebounds. They need as many of those three areas as possible. And Zion, he affects all three by not being there, negatively affects it. So the free throw rate has gone from 35.1% uh, to 33.3%. It's, pretty, it's, pretty, uh, it's a pretty drastic drop-off. Defense, defensive efficiency. It's gone up by a full point. Up in defense, obviously not good. Uh, it was 96, now it's 96.9. The turnover percentage, here you go, 20.1% uh, uh, when he was there, now 18.1. Yikes. So, uh, steal percentage, this is what, uh, I mean, that's the thing with Trey. When Trey was out, everyone's like, oh, see, they don't get steals with that. And the steals have gone to nothing. I mean, if it wasn't for Miami, which Duke was just, they're still talented enough, and Miami is decimated enough as a team. Miami doesn't have anyone. I mean, ugh. But uh, if they had if they had uh, Dewan Huell, I think it's Dewan Hernandez now, totally different team. But uh, my other uh, DMV point guard, little Chris Likes, man, he's on his own. And Duke's defense, that was one game. I love Trey, loves defense, amazing. He, he got too much credit that game because Duke's entire defense was based on just shading over to whatever, wherever Chris Likes was, and it was just a nightmare for him. I mean, they just warmed down. It was just help waiting wherever he went. They would switch length on him at times, and it was just, it was, oh my god, I feel, I feel bad for him. So, uh, great player, bright future, but uh, yeah, I think uh, that was a little bit of a stat skewer game uh, for Miami. Block percentage, that's down 15.4% uh, to 15.0. I know it was number one. I'm not sure what it is right now, but I know it's uh, it's it's down, and the thing with Zion is he wouldn't just block shots. He would keep, he would block shots and keep the ball in and start breaks. It's huge. That is absolutely huge. So here's what I feel is the biggest benefit to Zion coming back. Duke is now again if he uh, if he can get his endurance going, and hey, that's a big if. I mean. Was even six games with three weeks, so uh, it's less important that Duke wins the ACC and just Zion gets his legs under him. That's huge because if he can, Duke is now a closing team again. Duke is a second half team. If you've watched Duke the last couple games, and I'm sure most of you have, Duke has been a team that basically. They just have to hope they can just beat a team down immediately because they aren't going to have that closing ability, which they did with Zion. What closing ability am I talking about? Let's uh let's let's go over it. Alright, so this year, I mean I mean you think about freshmen, yeah, it's gonna be tough to put together full games. Not because they don't have the ability, it's just it's it's tough to get that consistent level to come in right away and be on your game right away. It's just not natural. I mean, you kind of, you're, you're up, you're down. Basically, it's Cam Reddish. <laughs> if, if you could just uh, kind of spread out Cam Reddish for everything, it's like a, it's a whole kind of bipolar 
sort of uh, aspect of it, and I don't mean bipolar in any way, in an offensive way, um, just in kind of the up and down terms. So let's look at uh, poor starts, turned it on the second half. Um, Army. Army, they, they play great. Coach K's all, all matter, and uh, Army's not a good team. Duke was winning by eight at halftime. That was uh, that was the second game of the season right after Kentucky. You'll see Duke kind of drops off after some of the big wins. And uh, Kentucky, by the way, this whole transitive property stuff, like, get, I, I, I don't even, like, it's so ridiculous at this point. Like, like just look at the overall picture. Like, do, if you really think it's important that Duke beat Kentucky by $7 million when Kentucky wasn't ready, I don't know what to tell you. So, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, I just, I don't go by that trans, transitive property much, especially when it happened a while ago, because it's just meaningless. Um, so, Army, uh, they were up by uh, 8, turned uh, then, second half, outscoring them by 14. So, it was a plus 6. Um, scoring margin, uh... Whatever point differential. There we go. That was the term I was looking for. So they outscored them by 8 in the first half, 14 in the second. So they won by 22. Gonzaga, they're down 8 in the uh, at halftime. Outscored Gonzaga by 6 in the second half. So that was a plus 14. Still lost, but uh, I, would say, I would say that was because Gonzaga really tried to give that one away. I don't even know. I didn't see the, the Gonzaga... St. Mary's game last night. I don't know what happened, but uh, yeah, that was an odd-looking score. I mean, when you don't play competitive teams for a while, that could be a wake-up call for Gonzaga. We'll see what the deal is with that. Um, but uh, yeah, so those two early games, uh, that was random, but it was after, I, w I would say it's once Hartford. That really got it started. Hartford uh, up nine, at halftime, outscoring by 21. So that was a plus 12. Yale, outscoring by 9 in the first half, outscoring by 24 in the second. Turned that into a blowout. Princeton, Princeton, outscoring by 13 in the first half, outscoring by uh, 38 in the second half. So, uh, yeah. Um, Texas Tech, they, uh, Texas Tech outscored Duke by 1. In, uh, at halftime, and Duke outscored them by 12 in the second half. Clemson, 7 in the first half, 12 in the second. Wake, 8, then 14. Uh, Georgia Tech, outscored by 2, then uh, at halftime, then 15. And you can see this This is a trend. 10, uh, St. John's, 10 at halftime, outscoring by 20 in the second half. BC, that was crazy. Uh, they were down two at halftime. Outscored BC by 27 in the second half, plus 29. I, I mean, you, you, uh, Virginia. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm not gonna uh, Louisville. Same thing. My, down nine. Outscored by 11 in the second half. Louisville kind of crapped themselves. And uh, yeah, so I will say Zion. He has a lot to do with that. He has a lot to do with that because. Zion is a ball of energy. I mean, you can't help but be motivated, I would assume, just being around him. It's just a ball of positive energy. And I think that had a lot to do with it. Duke, like, all they needed was just one little bit 
of ability to grab momentum that was on. So since then, I would say you have the Q's uh, second game where they were down five at halftime and outscored Q's by 15 in the second half. So that was a plus 20 without Zion. That was uh, some nice moves by K to really create action. Instead of just having RJ uh, standing at the high post waiting for an entry, he actually ran Trey and O'Connell into the high post. He flashed him into the high post to create action, create energy there. That was a good job, and Duke actually did get a bunch of uh, offensive rebounds in, the, in that game in the second half. So, there, but uh, outside of that, I mean, Wake Forest, when they, when they were uh, they were up one at halftime, even in the second half, so they won by one. They, like that, with Zion, it's just a feeling that, I mean, there's no guarantees, but they would have just blown, blown it out. Also, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, same thing. We're like, they they were down three at halftime. Could couldn't get it any closer. So whenever they're down by just a little or it's close, with Zion you just have that feeling, that closing feeling with Zion, where it's just he's going to he's gonna kill it in the second half, and he's gonna bring every he's gonna carry everyone along with him. That's just the feeling that you get. Some people have that it factor. And Duke is a great team. Without him, they are a special team with him. And you really got the feeling they were hanging on uh, for for these other games. Wake Forest especially. I mean, it, it's... Ugh. That was that was brutal. I mean, and, and I mean, you got... When they play a team like North Carolina, I mean, Duke was doing everything possible to kind of hang in there. But there's really only so much they can do for a certain period of time. I mean, here we go. There was, I mean, when you think about Duke's three-point defense, that's something that's gone really underrated because we think three-pointers with Duke, we think, oh, well, Duke's just, they can't shoot three-pointers themselves. But they've kind of, a lim- they've kind of equaled that out with, with how good their defense is. And uh, against teams, uh, I mean, they did have some issues. The second game at UVA with the Cavs, they started 2 of 7. They missed their last, but in between they were 8 of 16. But, I mean, that, that, that was when Duke, that was when R.J. Barrett started out 5 of 5 and Cam had one of his, uh, his uh, two outlier games where he actually was able to put two halves together consistently. Um, so, yeah, and then... Uh, the second UNC game, let's see that. I mean, I was I, I didn't finish my uh, opening to that. I mean, UVA, Virginia Tech, and North Carolina—they're all in the top twelve in terms of three-point percentage. At least the last time I checked, and Duke really held them down. I mean, Virginia in the first game absolutely, and then the second game mostly they just allowed that period of time. In uh, Virginia Tech, absolutely. Virginia Tech beat Duke, and it was mostly... I mean, Duke's offense actually was pretty good. Their defense, it's the worst defensive game. I saw Duke play by such a wide margin. It's not even close. Like, that game it was so bad defensively. And that's when you really miss Zion. I mean, they just had no answer for Blackshear. And they basically were just... 
selling out to stop the three, and it, it didn't even do anything. They were still getting open threes, still getting uh, straight line drives to the rim, still getting it was just awful, 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 awful. And I just can't imagine that happening with Zion. Um, so this so UNC. These three straight halves, they really did a great job preventing uh, open threes for, for Carolina. Sh- shutting down the best shooting Carolina team I might have ever seen under Roy. I mean, the 2005 team was terrific. This team is un- unbelievable. And uh, three straight halves where UNC just couldn't hit anything. And then at uh, 52 all, 12-10 left. You got Cam made made three point field goal. Kobe White made three point field goal. Uh, Cam missed jumper, offensive rebound. White made layup free throw. It, all right, I'll, I'll just say for ten possessions, it was nine scores, twenty three points, eight of sixteen field goals. So so they weren't even shooting that well, but five of six three point field goals, and they got the offensive rebound on seven of eight missed shots. And a fourteen to two run over three hundred one made it seventy five sixty with six forty seven left. That was pretty much all she wrote. Despite North Carolina really, really doing their damnedest to try to allow Duke back in, it was the worst, the most brutal, ugly ten zero run I've ever seen a team make. When Duke uh, slowly made their way back, and but despite not really actually doing anything to uh, earn their way back. It was just awful. They didn't deserve to win anyway, so that was what it was. To give up those offensive rebounds to Carolina nonstop, and then to give up the threes, and the offensive rebounds the threes, it was like rinse, repeat. So they were just, they their legs were gone. That's pretty much all it was, because when you look at Duke as a second-half team, one thing that is huge is R.J. Barrett's ability to turn it up. He's done that all season, and that's something where, while he's really given everything he's had in the two Carolina games recently in the Virginia Tech game, when in the Virginia Tech game he was also sick, recently it's been, it's been tougher for him to really muster that effort without Zion because he doesn't have that consistent number two. We've been hoping to see it out of Cam. And Cam has shown glimpses, but the Virginia Tech game, I mean, we and and the last North Carolina game, we saw huge first halves, and then it just he just disappeared in the in the second, and that is kind of a overall picture of Cam Reddish in terms of just his scoring and his offensive efficiency, shooting the ball. I'm not talking about he's he's done a great job and still contributing in other areas. Great attitude, really does a lot of positive things on the court, but he's just he he hasn't put two halves together except for the Florida State game, except for the second Virginia game. And uh, I mean, if you just look at stats, I mean the first UNC game, but that was a lot of it was in garbage time. So that's why I said Cam Reddish, at the beginning of the year, he's the X-Factor. He absolutely is the X-Factor. If he's on, Duke's not losing. Duke's not losing. Because there's just no way to stop him then. Duke's, Duke's offense is just so horrific. In half court, if he can even provide that tiny little bit of a threat, Duke ain't losing. 
So, I mean, it's just imagine if he can get hot and stay hot in the tournament, but that's a big if. He hasn't shown he can do it. I mean, this is a guy who, I think, uh, after the first two games, for the next, like, 14 games until Florida State, there was only, like, two games where he played uh, double-digit minutes in two straight halves in uh, both halves in a game. That's kind of crazy when you think about it, and it's not because of blowouts or anything, because Zion and RJ weren't having that issue of playing, uh, being able to play double-digit minutes in each half. It was just a matter of one thing or another somehow keeping them out. It was really odd. It was either foul trouble or just losing K's trust for a little bit. I mean, once Florida State happened, although he missed the next game, uh, like, since then, at least in terms of minutes, he's really, he's gotten them. And... I don't know if K had a, he's had really a choice because I mean with the Trey injury and when then with the the Zion injury they need they need uh they need someone in their score. But I I think he's really proven the ability to impact the game at a high level at times. But I think we already knew that we're still looking for for Cam to be that guy Duke can count on. Everyone knows how talented he is. Everyone does. I mean, I saw an article, uh, I think uh, yesterday or the day before, I think it was Slam, like Don't Sleep on Camera. It was the weirdest article I've read in a while. It was basically like a fa- like fanning out on him or something. Like, first of all, nobody's sleeping on Cam. Like, everyone loves it. Nobody's sleeping on whatever isn't, like, the number one and number two thing of whatever it is. Like, something like hip-hop. Whoever's not in the top three, everyone, like everything else is being slept on. Like the teams, if you're not like ranked number one, you're sleeping on them. It's just kind of a cliche at this point. Nobody's sleeping on Cam Reddish. He's very likely a top five pick, so chill. But, I mean, he's just, he's got, he's got to produce more. I've, I've, I've been in his corner, man. He, he's, he's my guy the same way Trevon DeVal was last year in terms of, they have the ability to impact the team, but the difference is this year, Kate trusts him. Kate runs so many plays from Kate didn't do that for Deval. So that's that's the difference right there. Cam just needs to produce. I wanted Deval to get the chance. I wanted the offense to give Duval a chance, and then finally when he got it, it was like too late in the season. But uh okay, Cam he's had plenty of offense designed for him. It isn't Simply, he's the third wheel behind RJ and uh, Zion. He's, he has opportunities. So, I mean, I'll say the same thing I always do. If he, if he uh, Cam Reddish can get consistently, can be consistently productive for a couple games, Duke ain't losing. They're the national champions. It's that simple. As far as free throws... I have been on that the entire year. I'm actually going to take uh, an episode off from going uh, in-depth on free throws. As you can listen to any other episode I've done, last episode with Sean Crest, anything, where I've talked about the free throws. So, I mean, very quickly, five out of seven games decided by five or less points have been directly affected by free throws. Gonzaga 
on the other team side, the other four, Florida State, Virginia, Wake Forest, and Syracuse. Syracuse-Zion missed a uh, potential game winner. Uh, RJ missed a potential game winner against Florida State. Trey also missed a front end of an end one there. Um, Gonzaga crapped themselves um, from the free throw line. Um, and Wake Forest, RJ missed the last five and went three for nine. Virginia, they went 11 for 22 in the second half. Zion went three for nine. It was just, it's, it's bad all the time, especially close games down the stretch. So I've, I've harped on that plenty of times. Not going to uh, go deep on it now. So, uh, of course, it's not, of course uh, um, Marquise, Marquise Bolden gets injured a couple minutes into the game. That's three ACC games where Duke has lost a starter less than six minutes in. And uh, two of them less than three minutes in. Both of those were against North Carolina somehow. It is just a, it's rough. It's, it's rough, and it's it's not just, uh, people love to say that, hey, Duke has so much talent. It's chemistry, man. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter who you have. You need the chemistry. If you got, if your guys don't play together all the time, then they're not going to be used to playing with each other, and these guys already have great chemistry, so I think we're lucky in that sense. I, I It's tough. I mean, I think eight out of 18 games Duke had their starters in for the whole game. Eight out of 18 conference games. It's it's tough because I'm also including the uh, Florida State and um, I think I included Georgia Tech too because Bolden left that. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it's tough when you don't have your group. So Bolden MCL sprain. I don't even know why they like. There's like articles written about like what is the. I don't understand how we don't know. Maybe by now, maybe this morning they've announced the degree um, of the sprain because only then will we know if he's coming back. There is no way he was playing in the ACC tournament. But uh, Bolden, he would be great to have. Obviously, tremendous season. He is. Really, really, he has come such a long way. And it's just tough because of all his injuries, the beginning of his career, and now he's finally healthy. And uh, I think actually the game before, he uh, left the weight game with um, with something. I don't even know what really. Uh, something with his hip, I believe. So he, he missed a bunch of that game, too. He did come back, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully... Hopefully he's okay, and uh, we'll see how that goes. So before we talk about what Duke is going to do with lineups and everything, it's interesting, because uh, how are we going to think about this team? 26-4 and heading into the final regular season game against North Carolina. There was another team that was 26-4 and heading into the final regular season game against North Carolina. That team was, uh, I think, 7-3 and three against uh, top 50 teams. This team was 9-4, and four, so pretty much the same way. How do you think we remember that team? Because both teams now have lost to North Carolina. That team won a game in the ACC tournament, lost the next, and then lost to Lehigh. 
People think of that team as a, as a gigantic failure. And no matter what examples I bring up to prove that they were actually really good. They never fell out of the top ten the entire year. Great team. It's just that they, they it all went wrong at the end. I mean, it, Austin Rivers did everything he could. There's no, there's no one else who could create their own shot on that team. And the offense was designed for ISO. So, it, I mean, it wasn't like the following year where it was actually back to, like, old-school K-3-2 motion. Um, it, it, so, right now, you got to think, are you going to be... Are you going to think about this team the same way? Well, obviously not. I mean, people hate Austin Rivers for some reason. I it, it, I, I don't get it. Some say, some try to make up excuses like he hasn't come back to Duke. Then he did come back, and some that didn't make a difference. I don't know what Austin Rivers did to all the Duke fans, but uh, and he's never said a, a negative word about anything. So, I don't know. I think it's... People think he like did Seth Curry wrong in some way. Anyway. Um, so yeah, it, it'll just be interesting to see how this goes. Because obviously this team is more talented. Obviously you could say this team lost their games because of injuries, so it's not the same thing. But it, it's interesting when you look at the Kemp Palmera, Duke teams that have suffered more than one home loss. There was the 2007 team, a total rebuild. They lost four, and then they lost to VCU in the first round. There was the 2012 team, which I just mentioned. They lost three home games, and uh, they lost in the first round. There was a 2016 team who, despite... Making it to this week, they lost three home games. I'm talking about during the regular season in conference play. Uh, despite making it to the Sweet Six, sixteen, I think we all, or at least I thought, I felt that they were very fortunate to do so. They were down. Uh, they were down at the half against UNC. Uh, UNC Wilmington and Kevin Keats. They managed to win that game in a. Uh, that was it. Was actually a pretty fun game, offensive. Um, then I thought they got lucky that Yale beat Baylor because Baylor, uh, they couldn't really, Ugh. but, uh, yeah. So against Yale, <laughs> Duke was up 46 to 19 with just under four minutes left in the first half. And somehow with that, that became 54, 47 with 1139 left, which just shows kind of a lot about the issues going on with that team. So, uh. Yeah, and they ended up losing to Oregon in the next round. That's when the Grayson stuff kind of gained steam. Uh, the Coach K, he got a little too full of himself with lecturing Dylan Brooks in that game. And to K's credit, he apologized for it. And uh, for, some, for some reason, nobody uh, apologized to me for all the uh, hurtful things they said to me on Twitter for just saying K shouldn't have said that. But uh, sometimes uh, K's cold gets a little... It's a little crazy. So, uh, yeah. So teams that have, in the 18 years of Ken Palm, teams that have lost two conference home games, or more than one, hasn't worked out. Except for there is one team. That is 2015. They lost two home games, 
They lost to, I believe, Miami, and they lost to Notre Dame. I think that worked out pretty well, wouldn't you say? So, four teams out of uh, the Kempom 18 years. You got two first-round losses. You got a six, uh, sweet 16 appearance, though that was kind of lucked into. Not lucked, but uh, fortunate. And you got a national champion. So you never know. You never know. Well, I think I got a question of, uh, dude, like, the, there's stats that there has to be, like, three upperclassmen who get significant minutes uh, for every champion since, like, 2000 or something. Why, why is Duke going to be the outlier? Duke's going to be the outlier for a number of reasons if they're going to win this year. I mean, how many... How many how many teams have had two freshmen average twenty? So I'm pretty sure. I mean, I think Duke's the first. So there's an outlier. How many players are like Zion Williamson? Think about that. Not many. How about none? I mean, just the type of player he is. I'm not saying he's better than everyone in history. I'm just saying the type of player he is is different. And I think the impact he has this year, there's not a lot of great teams. Since I said that, now I'm sure it'll be four Final Four teams that nobody expected. But it's pretty much like six teams. Was it uh, North Carolina, Kentucky, Duke, Virginia, um, Gonzaga, and Tennessee? I'm not sure if it goes much beyond that. Uh, maybe Michigan State, Michigan, but it's not real deep. I mean, that's why uh, I always make fun of how everyone says the bubble. It's the worst bubble ever. This year, I mean, it's bad. And uh, there's, there's a lot of mid-major teams that deserve to be in over some of these crappy bubble teams. So hopefully, hopefully that happens. Um... But yeah, so, so we'll see how that goes. But Duke is going to be an outlier in, in many ways. I mean, yeah, they haven't gotten that consistency. They haven't gotten the chemistry you would hope for in conference play. But when, they, but when they've had that full team, I think we all know the record is 19-1 Gonzaga. And teams certainly look like they crap themselves when they play Duke. And... Duke always seems to have a chance, no matter what. As bad, like the worst they can play, they will always seem to have a chance. I mean, Gonzaga really tried to give it to them. Like, I mean, the stats with Gonzaga were just downright horrific. 3 of 15 in the final 10 minutes inside of 638. Gonzaga attempted the final 7 free throws in 9 of the last 10. I, and they just, ch it was a total choke job. Total choke job. I mean, Sarah, let's see, uh, Louisville, obviously. Louisville's been doing that for a couple of years, choking everyone. I mean, Louisville with a double-digit second-half lead is almost worse than them being down 10. I mean, it's, I don't know, I don't know what, they're in their own heads. Hopefully, they kind of get over that mental block next year because uh, they got a lot of talent. Jordan Noir, great player. But yeah, North Carolina, they somehow tried to give it, give it away. But uh, Duke, there is still that intimidation factor. And it, it's even there a bit without Zion. So when he's there, 
It's crazy, man. Like they, they, there definitely is a mental advantage Duke has. All right, so the ACC postseason awards. Uh, I, I didn't think there was uh, too many surprises. There were Player of the Year Zion and RJ was runner up. That is what I uh, predicted. I think I had DeAndre Hunter tied with RJ as my runner up. Um, Let's see, I had Coach of the Year Buzz, runner-up Bennett. It was the reverse in the decision. I totally understand that. I think Bennett, Tony Bennett did a great job this year in terms of just adapting to his team. Everyone says he just runs the same old, same old, boring offense, and he is now really expanding it. And I think that's less to do with many will say it's because of the UMBC game, which still many people love to forget that DeAndre Hunter did not play. Last year, but uh, it's because he's really adapting to the talent on his team. They, the UVA hasn't had this type of talent, and now it's more continuity. Ball screen, as I've talked to Jordan Sperber about uh, a lot, they it's and it's a kind of a combination of the continuity with the blocker mover. They still have the pack line, but they even extend that more, a little, a little more pressure. They can. It's just the ball screens because they're more talented. They can create their own shots better. They got, I mean, Diakite, he's improving drastically. And just in terms of shot blocking right there, I mean, it, uh, like Twitter or social media would love it if UMBC is matched up with, uh, well, UMBC, they're playing Vermont again for the championship. If they win, uh, it, it would be uh, amazing if they were matched up against UVA, but it wouldn't be pretty. UVA would smash them. All right, uh, so Defensive Player of the Year. This one was the shadiest award ever because Zion, like I saw right away, Zion got zero votes. I, I, uh, my choice was Zion tied with Hunter with Trey as the runner-up. Zion got zero votes. I'm like, how is that possible? I don't know who makes the name available, if it's the school or the conference. I think it's the school. Don't quote me on that. But... If I had to guess, and this is just a guess, I would say Duke took Zion's name out to try to get Trey, to boost Trey, to, to get him uh, voted as the uh, defensive player of the year because the other he wasn't an option. <laughs> like, that's unbelievable to me. He wasn't an option. And it's not just you can only have one per team. So it didn't quite work out. Uh, DeAndre Hunter still won. Trey was... The runner-up, but kind of shady. Uh, most improved, Jordan Noir deserved. Uh, Six-man, Kevin uh, Jelly deserved. Freshman of the year, Zion absolutely deserved. Uh, first team, Zion, RJ. Uh, let's see. Um, they had Kyle Guy. Kyle Guy. They had Cam Johnson, RJ Baird, Zion Williamson, and DeAndre Hunter. I don't know. I think Kyle Guy kind of was expected to be there, and some people just don't like admitting they're wrong. Kyle Guy had a great year. I don't know about first team. but uh, And then second team, they had Luke May, Kai Bowman, Ty Jerome, Kobe White, Kerry Blackshear, third team, Jordan Noir, Marquise Reed, Tyus Battle, uh, Na, uh, Nicole, I, sorry, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and John Mooney. I don't know. Like I feel like uh, Marquise Reed... I actually had him on my first team. 
And I know I I did admit that I could see why he could be switched for Ty Jerome because I think Ty Jerome was amazing. I don't know how Kyle Guy was ahead of Ty Jerome. I don't know how Luke May was ahead of Mar- Marquise Reed. I, I think Luke May might be another one like Kyle Guy where people didn't want to admit they were wrong. I mean, shoot, I I picked Luke May. As I think I picked him as my preseason player of the year because I hadn't seen any of the freshmen, so I was I said that at the time that I was just basically throwing darts with these freshmen. I had no idea, so I'm not going to pick them. And Luke May seemed obvious, but you can't you can't predict or project or most can't. Well, I couldn't because I hadn't seen Kobe White. I mean, he's their whole offense is Carolina's whole offense is designed around him. I mean, and he just keeps getting better, especially in conference play. And Cam Johnson, just a fantastic senior season. I mean, he can he can stroke it. I mean, they they. Just, I don't know. I don't know. And Marquise Reed, I think got got uh, the short end of the stick right there. Um, besides that, uh, yeah, I think that's about it for postseason awards. All right. So, with with the lineup, what are they going to do? What are they going to do in terms of, are they going to start Zion at center? Is or is Javin going to play more? Is Jack Wake going to play along with him? I think, it, I think it just depends on the opponent. Because I think right now, it'll probably be mostly Javin with Zion because you want to get that defense. Because, I, I mean, Zion, he's... He hasn't lost his ability. I mean, the endurance will have to be worked on, but, I mean, him, he's going to take such a load off of RJ, and that'll be huge. I mean, Duke has not had a second score. You can see RJ's legs going, and RJ, he has that endurance, but there's only so much he can do. I mean, the Cuse game was an extreme, but uh, you, you, you saw those legs go. You could, you could see it coming against North Carolina. And if his legs are going to go, that that like they were done. They were absolutely done. And, yeah, you would just hope they would have that number two. And now Zion, he's going to provide that. And everything a defense does will have to account for him. Even if plays aren't being run for him, like he's going to be there for the offensive rebounds. He affects everything. So I think it's more important right now that you have Javin. Because Javin you can also run with. Javin, he's been so good lately with his foul rate. You couldn't put him on the floor earlier in the season. He would just foul immediately. It'd be impossible to trust. Jack White, I still think he can get a lot of time. It's tougher to trust that he'll space the floor as well if he's not hitting shots. I love everything Jack White does. But in order for him to get consistent playing time, he needs to hit shots. But then I could say the reverse for O'Connell. O'Connell hits shots, but his defense is just god-awful. And then it was weird because I actually mentioned on Twitter during the North Carolina game, his first North Carolina game ever, he came in, he hit like two of three immediately. That was uh, last year, the first North Carolina game. Since then... He doesn't look right against North Carolina. He looks very different against them than any other team. His shots aren't even close. He doesn't look confident. 
I'm not sure what the deal is. And, I mean, obviously, North Carolina is a pressure-packed game. So, yeah, you can understand it on that level. But at the same time, he's played in them now. He knows what the deal is. And, man, they could have used him. He got some open shots that he just bricked. I mean, they weren't even close. Especially when Duke really needed it. They were doing a great job of of uh, hanging tough at 52 all. I think that when Trey hit a three, which, hey, that was so shocking. I had to keep Duke down, I think it was like 61-58. I mean, Duke was hanging in there. They just needed somebody to step up. I mean, Cam had the first half, and then what did he go, like one for 12 in the second? It was all on RJ, and that's just, he can't keep carrying the team. So... O'Connell really would have helped. He really would have helped to hit some shots. And uh, he has to because his defense is that bad. I was looking through some uh, on-off numbers in terms of the lineups. And, man, even when he's playing with Zion, like the team defense at those times, it's interesting. And I'm so happy I found on-offs. I'm going to post some stats probably on Twitter in terms of on-offs because that is really rare. For uh, college basketball, like they have all those stats for NBA, but college basketball doesn't do that as much. I wish they had. I wish I could find more three and four man uh, lineups, but uh, in terms of five man, you can kind of switch guys out and see the numbers in that way and who they play with and who's who's good there. I got a question: How is Zion doing this year um, without Bolden and? I mean, Zion's doing great with, with whoever he plays with. I, um, in terms of the numbers, I mean, he's great with Javin because I think Javin is almost like the uh, backup quarterback where everyone sees him like for a play and they throw a touchdown and everyone believes they can be uh, the answer, even though they're just kind of, I, I, I will say... They're just there to provide a spark. And, not, and I shouldn't have even said just. Just is not the right word. He provides a great spark, and he's been more. He's been fantastic, and he's going to be needed, especially if Bolden's out for the season. I mean, again, that margin for error is not much. So he's going to need to stay out of foul trouble. He's going to need to keep playing smart, keep making great, fantastic plays at the rim. And, uh, yeah, Duke is going to be able to run more because you look, you look at the numbers with Jack White, the offense is a little better. The defense is a lot worse. So I would say, yeah, Javin can be better that way. Um, and unless you get a team that just packs it in, you really need to rely on Jack White or Alex O'Connell being able to somehow hit a shot because – Let's be honest, nobody's guarding Trey. Nobody's guarding him. I mean, that's why I want Kay to create more action for him, to get him involved, to make him a threat. Because he's not going to be a threat as a spot-up shooter. When he can hit that random corner three like he did against Carolina, hey, blah, blah, love that. But I wouldn't expect it. Hope for it. Be happy when it happens. Don't expect it. There's a lot in Trey's game that we just are not seeing, and that's really unfortunate, but I say that every year, and I'm not going to do my point guard and K system rant. So uh, I would say expect to see more Javin, but they're going to mix it up, I'm sure. 
I mean, who knows? Maybe even uh, throwing O'Connell in there with Javin. Maybe with, with White. Well, no, yeah, I don't think they could do that with White because I think the defense would just be, no, you can't do that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Zion might officially be listed as the center, but he's going to be roaming. That's what he does. He just kind of, he's everywhere as a threat with a help defense. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what he does there. So I wouldn't get too caught up in official positions of who starts or whatever. I mean, again, I think it will be Javin, but the key is just being able to adapt to each situation. Like with Javin, I don't, I'm not sure how that'll work against uh, Syracuse if they play like that because, I mean, you're going to need Zion down low. And we saw when everyone's legs were just done, uh, the first Syracuse game, Syracuse just kind of sunk down low on Zion and just dared Duke to beat him. And Duke, they didn't have the energy. They, they, they were done. It wasn't, that game was used as kind of a referendum on Duke. They can't shoot. They're not a good shooting team. They I think it was just a bunch of outliers making it an extreme situation. I mean, they didn't have their best, uh, their most lethal outside shooter in Cam Reddish against a zone. That sucks. They didn't have a tray. That sucks. And they were coming off short rest. That sucks. They were coming from FSU. Big uh, emotional win. Uh, so they're flying in for a Saturday to Monday turnaround. That sucks. It was uh, overtime. <laughs> that sucks. I mean, it was just a lot of stuff which allows it to be an outlier. And I'll say that the reverse as well. I say plenty of times there's, there's stat skewing games which I would ignore that are good. So it's not an excuse as much as just context. There's important context. Or not important, just it's it's worth it. It's worth keeping in mind. Um, I got a question. Why does Duke shoot worse at home than away? I guess because at home, there's uh, there's no funerals at Cameron. They're not wearing black. And R.J. Barrett wears black for funerals. They shoot horrible everywhere. So it's just a matter of basically the those outlier games. I mean, that really makes the difference. To, I mean, Syracuse, they that really put them behind the eight ball in terms of stats right there at home. And then, I mean, the three the three big ones were, uh, no, no, uh, were Notre Dame and, I mean, the Virginia, the second game, and FSU. I mean, they don't shoot like that. It was just three random games. And... I don't really think there's much to say besides that. But, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the overall stats uh, that uh, I saw, it's really odd that home and away stats, I don't, I couldn't find anywhere, really, except for uh, Bartovic.com. He does a great job. And uh, just in terms of the effective field goal percentage, just including the, uh, the threes to make them more valuable, overall... It's really equal, but then when you get into conference, that's when it really, you can see the difference. And, yeah, so when you, when you look at, let, let's see here, the um, away games. You have Wake Forest, where Duke just ran him in the second half. That's a crazy number. 
63.7 effective field goal percentage. And I'll say that you can kind of cancel out with Miami at home. Then you have Notre Dame. And you have Virginia. Notre Dame, 62.7 effective field goal percentage. Virginia, 72.2. So, yeah, I mean, then besides that, it's, it's normal. I mean, Virginia Tech's pretty high. That was the all-offense, no-defense game. North Carolina's horrific. Uh, Louisville's horrific. Um, Pittsburgh was pretty bad. Pittsburgh was that letdown game. And, I mean, Florida State wasn't even that great. It was just outside. But, uh, yeah, it was just, it's a couple games. That's all it takes to skew stats. And, let's see, at home, yeah, they just didn't have that great shooting game. And could you say that it is, I mean, I think it mostly is camp. It mostly is camp. He had the he had the uh, Virginia game and Florida State game, and yeah, those are his two games. That's really his two games. Which, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I wish he had more than that. But uh, here it. All right, okay. Uh, home Clemson. Um, yeah, they really didn't have. I mean, it was mostly just right around like fifty percent. They're just not a good shooting team. That's really all there is to it. I mean, they when you rely so, especially recently, because when you rely so much, as I was saying before, on on uh, offensive rebounds and transition, I mean, half court, it's, it's, it's not pretty. They, among 353 teams, they are ranked 346 in catch and shoot jumpers. Yet they shoot a lot of them, so it's kind of frustrating. But, uh, yeah, there's just not, they don't have the spacing, and it's just, it's really interesting because Kay says he doesn't want to run many actual sets because it clogs everything up and the offense gets bogged down, so he wants to let them have freedom in motion offense. But that doesn't really look good. I mean, I can see when you have three guys that can create their own shot at any time, yeah, just let them go. But it made a big difference when there was only two. Makes a huge difference. So I would have liked to see more plays run, especially, again, O'Connell, when he's in there, run plays for him, run action for Trey. But I don't know. Kate, I can understand Kate doesn't want to reinvent the whole system. I don't think it would be reinventing the wheel or anything. I think these kids are really smart. They can handle it. But I don't know. I think he could have been a little more creative during the time when Zion was out with the offense, but hey, that's neither here nor there because Zion is back at this point. Um, let's see, another thing. Uh, will Duke be able to... Will they get tired if three straight games, if they, let's say they make the final, if they are, if they are able to beat North Carolina, they make the final against Virginia... Are they going to be tired because they looked tired at the beginning against Gonzaga? I mean, I don't think... I mean, they just maybe... That was a little bit of nerves against Gonzaga. Because, I mean, Gonzaga is a legit... They were a legit team. Duke, while they had played Auburn, they hadn't really been involved. Because Auburn, for some reason, never really felt like it was in doubt. I mean, it got to within six points a couple times. I'm not really sure why. I mean, Bolden had a great game that game. But, uh... It really never felt in doubt. I'm not quite... Yeah, I guess never got closer than six. Um, 
Gonzaga, they got worked. They got worked. Gonzaga was by far the better team until Gonzaga crapped themselves with like 10 minutes left. There's no other analysis that needs to be said there. Gonzaga, the screening action they used against Duke is like picture perfect. I mean, Gonzaga was unbelievable that game in every possible way. They were so much the better team. And then, I mean, it's... I don't, I don't know what happened then, but they almost gave it away. No matter what happened yesterday between them and St. Mary's, I mean, it, it doesn't make the Duke-Gonzaga game disappear. That was, that was just really beautiful basketball they played. Um, but what, I don't even remember what I was saying. So um, I, I, will, I will say, oh, yeah, will they, uh, will they get tired? So... They weren't tired. I don't think. They, I mean, especially you could see at the end they, when they when they made that run, and it was interesting because that was that was when uh, Cam he he was ultra Cam that game because he came in the second half and I think he hit like two straight threes and turned the ball over like three times in the span of five possessions, so, and Cage couldn't trust me, especially with Gonzaga. You could see the legs going, so he actually used I think Javin and uh, Jack White at the same time and just basically protected the rim. And Cam didn't see the court from like, I think it was like 9.30 or 10.30 to 30 seconds left. It was interesting, and that's when Duke made their comeback. So I was a little worried about uh, him mentally there, but hey, he stayed strong. And uh, yeah, he's he's been through some stuff. And hopefully he will come out on top. Besides that, uh, I think uh, they got a Joey Baker question. I'd already, I'd already um, answered that in, on Twitter, but uh, yeah, I'll answer, I'll answer it again. Joey Baker, if you watched the Miami game and you know who uh, Dejan Vasilovic is, Dejan Vasilovic like, doesn't really dribble. He's kind of like, I mean, I don't know. He's like Clay Thompson, but he's not Clay Thompson. He's just kind of, he catches and he shoots. Um, and as soon as he saw Joey Baker was on him, he all of a sudden, like, thought he was Kobe Bryant and, like, attacked the Ram and scored. And he was just, like, he was very aggressive. And that's basically, it's basically, like, smelling blood, blood in the water or whatever that saying is. And he, that's how everyone's going to be. With uh, Joey Baker when they see him. So maybe he can gain trust in some garbage time if that happens. Maybe in the first round. Even though, I mean, Syracuse, I would very much doubt there'll be too much garbage time if they are the opponent. Maybe in the first round or second round of the NCAA tournament. But I think it's just really tough to trust Joey Baker. I know Miami... They were, like the defense was shaded over to like, so yeah, it did allow some openings on the weak side to take advantage of Joey Baker, but still at the same time, yikes. I mean he's he's he struggles defense and so if he can come in and just be immediately hot, then yeah, absolutely ride the wave. Ride the wave. But I would say the only really opportunity for legit playing time, unless all unless he just gets randomly hot, is against a team that really doesn't really struggles to score, 
and is packing it in against Duke and just daring him. So he wouldn't be as much a liability on defense and can provide that spacing, even though he hasn't really hit... I don't think he's hit a shot yet. So, I mean, he has to prove he can hit a shot first. So that's... uh, I'm player first 99.9% of the time. For, and I don't, I'm not even sure why I have total trust in Coach K with this one, with this situation. I just feel like, I mean... I. They had to have talked it over. And I know, like, football, a lot of times they will uh, uh, take the red shirt. Just if they need anyone to play, they won't care about feelings or anything. It seems like, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. I asked Sean Crest on the last pod. He didn't know either. But uh, they did talk. That is official. They did talk before and discussed it. So it wasn't out of the blue. If you think Coach K made a mistake, I mean... Maybe Joey Baker thought thinks he will not be there for a year, so a year isn't that big. Maybe he just wanted to do whatever the team needs. I mean, either way, I don't know. I really wouldn't overthink that at this point. But hey, hey to each their own. So if Zion can come back, I mean, I just it's it's great just to have him back. I'm sure RJ loves having him back, and. Yeah, kind of the gang's back together, of course, just as Bolden gets hurt. It's really unfortunate, because uh, you'd, you'd love everyone there. You'd love Bolden there. I think a lot of people kind of think of him still the way they did before the season, no matter what he does. It's almost like it's not the same usage rate, but it's the same way where if you look at certain stats with Bolden in terms of, like, team, how, how the other team's doing against him, like whether how many points they score for and against when he's on the court, that's that type of stuff. It's going to be like that annoying Okafor theory. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that is the worst thing ever. And it still blows my mind that basically it, it, every single person who blogs for Duke, who have most fans, they still think that that is a legit thing, the Okafor theory. And I'm not confused about what it was. It was just, it wasn't that, even though the original title was how, Duke, how like, Okafor is hurting Duke basketball or something. Um, yeah, it was an argument just to kind of lower his usage rate. It wasn't saying Duke was better, or that's the argument the author gave. It's really odd that they never put their name on it. But... I mean, I, it made me feel so crazy that I was, like, kind of on my own island, which I seem to be on for everything, Duke. But to think that was crazy. So, uh, yeah, I remember uh, I, I uh, talked to a bunch of analytics guys. They're like, no, you're right. That's, that's really stupid. Like, it doesn't really say anything about what's going on around it. It doesn't, like... There's context with everything. I think I even had, like, Sam Bassini on a pod uh, around that time, and I asked him, and he was like, no, it's ridiculous. But uh, I think that you don't have to be an analytics node to understand why something like that is so dumb. You can't just go based on points for team, points against team. Somebody, I remember, like, the Chronicle, they did that with, like, Marvin Bagley last year about why Duke is better without Marvin Bagley. And it just, it blows my mind because it's such an overly simplistic way. 
You don't have to go super deep into stats. I'm not a stat nerd. I know how they can help. I know how the stats can help kind of find out why certain things are happening, see if what you're, you thought was wrong. But if you, if you use them only for confirmation bias, then you're going to end up using a stat like points for and points against. It's the same thing, like an like individual plus minus for a player in a game. Oh my god! Like I, I that still like that. People were using that last year for Alex O'Connell, and just oh my god! Like think outside of the tiny little box for just a second. So I'm not saying everyone does that. I'm just saying beware the narratives. Same way Joey Baker. I think if he if he somehow does get minutes in a, uh, I hope he does. It wouldn't be a Grayson situation. It would not be a Grayson situation. The Grayson Allen situation was not a surprise. I I, pre- I predicted it actually. I thought his breakout was going to come against Gonzaga the uh, two games before when uh, I thought I thought it was going to be more of a uh, up and down game. It wasn't. Um, but but yeah, I've been I've been saying that Grayson was due. For a while, like, I wrote articles about it. That was when I was blogging at the time. I got plenty of evidence to back that up. That was not a surprise, at least to me. I can't speak for others, but there is plenty of evidence watching Grayson. Like, he didn't just come out of nowhere. People think he just appeared out of a hole or something. He was, like, the number 23 recruit. He was... He got minutes. Not consistent. He obviously wasn't getting consistent minutes, but... When he got minutes, he was he was productive, and he got over twenty a, a couple times. Like anybody who gets over twenty more than like once or twice in a season, obviously the coach sees something. No matter if it's garbage time or not, you don't get over twenty minutes without showing something, showing you're deserving. Of it. I think he actually like two games before the ACC uh, tournament, he played like twenty minutes. It was like Wake or something. So yeah, like beware of the soft narratives. Like Grayson Allen was not a surprise, and if Joey Baker plays well, <laughs> hey, that is a much much bigger shock than Grayson. Not because he can't play well, just because I haven't seen anything to make me be- to to just allow me to project that. It's not a believing in him or not believing in him. I think that. That's something we get too caught up in. That if you if you critique a player, it's because you don't like them, and that's it. No, you can as long as you do it intelligently. It's not an insult. It's when you. But if you're like personally insulting at the player, like Jack White, I mean that's something I obviously talked about with Sean Crest last pod. It was just. People were over the top, and that's why on Twitter I put a little thread of just kind of going back to like Texas Tech and how huge he was that game, especially when the the freshmen, the four freshmen, they were just kind of really learning the ropes at that time. And Jack was so big, just not just in terms of his production, which was insane, insane. I mean, he Duke was like 0-14, and he had two straight threes. He was ISO'd on... Like Texas Tech players for like every, for like ten possessions in the last fifteen minutes. Like Jarek Hover, one of the uh, one of the top prospects of the draft, Jack White was defending him one on one and doing a great job blocking him, stripping him. 
And he was also directing the Duke guys where to go. I mean, that's leadership. And yeah, you like you can't give a guy playing time if they're not hitting shots. But he's doing so much else. You just ha- it's worth hoping that he can just knock one down. And if he doesn't, it's not worth ripping him. Like I, I don't understand that. I don't understand that at all. So. Yeah, all right, so I'm going to be amping up. This is going to be, like, there won't be pods lasting this long um, because this was kind of little, uh, I mean, UNC recap. There's all, there are all kinds of weird stuff um, going on. But, uh, yeah, I will pretty much, I don't know if I'll do a, uh, I'll record an episode after the quarterfinal tomorrow, if that's again, whoever that's against, uh, Pittsburgh or... Syracuse, but besides that, I will be pretty much recording an episode after, yeah, I'll record after semifinals, if they uh, win that, then uh, after the final, I'll obviously do the NCAA tournament preview, again, if you're interested, hit me up, because I just like talking ball, and uh, it would be nice to have someone to talk to, because Twitter, it is... It is a madhouse, and people just really just want to make their point that you're wrong about everything. It's not a conversation, which I would love to have. So it'll be fun. Hit me up for, for that if you are interested. Either way, uh, subscribe, rate, review, do what you do if you would like the pod to continue next year. I am not saying you have to. I'm not even saying I, I am deserving of it, but I've been doing this for six years, if nothing else. I know it is extremely different than what others do, just in terms of the combining of all kinds of analysis and uh, as well as the fan view of it without the bias. I can still look at it as a fan, which some people seem to have an issue doing. And I'm not saying that's better or worse. I'm saying it provides a different sort of lens. So, uh, for now, I will say that uh, let's just hope Zion can get as many minutes as possible to kind of work out the rust, and hopefully everything will work out along with it on, what is today? Wednesday, <laughs> Wednesday? Uh, so everything will work out Thursday, and I will be recording a pod Friday, hey, after, maybe, a UNC win. And UNC would be nice to actually have, I think DeVal got injured early on in the semifinal last year against UNC. Uh, so that, that, that would be, uh, that's three straight UNC games where a player has gotten injured early. DeVal came back. So I guess that's hurt, not injured. But it would be nice if that just wouldn't happen. So there's my little plea to the basketball gods. Until next time, uh, I am Adam Comero. This has been the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast, and I will be talking to everyone very soon.